Good morning, everybody. Uh, as Dave said, my name's Nate, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have a British accent, so like, you're not really setting me up for success. Dave actually said that on this stage, I, that everybody had to use a British accent, and he encouraged me to dress like a chimney sweep, um, but I didn't fall for it, so anyway. Uh, hey, I brought a giant wallet-sized pick to uh, just introduce you to my family this morning. Uh, so... Uh, because my kids couldn't be here. This is my daughter, Abby, over here. Uh, she just turned 14. She's perfect in every way. Thanks for asking. Uh, this is my son, Ethan. He's 16. Uh, and that's my wife, Jill. She's here with me, and I'm not going to tell you her age. But uh, we've been uh, great friends with Dave and Casey probably for 20 years now. And this week, as I was preparing for, uh, for this morning, I was just kind of remembering back to 2011. Uh, in 2011, Dave and I went on a ski trip. We tend to, uh, to, to try and get away and do that uh, because uh, we're selfish like that and, and we don't bring anybody with us. We just go and ski and have incredible conversations on the chairlift. And usually every night, like we'll go out to eat and uh, just hang out and talk. And I remember one night in 2011 when we were skiing, uh, we were just talking about life and ministry and Dave was really wrestling with this idea about whether he should plant a church or not in, uh, in Washington, Illinois. And I remember some of the conversations we, we had, and it was like a risky, risky thing. But he talked about the people in Washington. He talked about the opportunity for just what he just described up here, how new churches impact people who are far from God, and they connect people in community. And I, I just got to say, it's inspiring to be in this space with you this morning and just see what God has done. I mean, it, it, and here's the, here's the crazy part. The best is yet to come. I can't wait to hear how God continues to use Connect to change the spiritual landscape of this community. So I just want to let you know that, um, man, I love being here today. I love meeting you, and uh, this is going to be fun. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, two kinds of people. Uh, so first, on one hand, you have conflict avoiders, okay? On the other hand, you have conflict enjoyers. Now, let me kind of give you a little bit of a de definition here. So conflict avoiders are those that kind of avoid awkward conversations. They don't like confrontation. They try and keep the peace. Uh, given kind of the options of fight or flight, they are going to choose flight every time. Then you have conflict enjoyers. And conflict enjoyers are the, are the kind of people that like they have no problem addressing conflict. In fact, when they do it, they kind of feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? Like they, it's something that they're totally okay with. And uh, given the options of fight or flight, it's fight every time, baby. That's, that's what it is. Now, here's the question. How many conflict avoiders do we have in the room today? How many describe themselves, okay, as a conflict avoider? All right, how many conflict enjoyers? All right, definitely know who to avoid after service. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, so here's what I would call an extreme instance of a conflict avoider. Take a look. You ever had a Snickers almond? I love almonds. You like almonds? I like almonds. Yeah, everybody loves almonds. Everything's almond now. You know what I love most about almonds? Everything about almonds. My girlfriend's got almond hand soap. It's almond with an L. 
I love that commercial so much. I can't tell you how many times we've watched that commercial in our office, just wasting time. Uh, and the guy that jumps out, he kind of looks like a pudgy Jimmy Kimmel. Did you think that? Anyway, uh, so while I've never jumped out of a moving car yet, I would describe myself as a conflict avoider, or at least a recovering conflict avoider. Uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I, this is something I've actually worked very hard at, and I've made a little bit of headway in. But uh, when, when Jill and I, when we were married, uh, we were so young, we were in our 20s, and it was the kind, of, uh, the kind of thing where we just were not great at conflict, and we were that couple. And I think we all know this couple, like the couple that is constantly at each other's throat, and, and it's uncomfortable. They don't choose to have these like arguments and these conversations away from people. They actually choose to like, okay, no, we're going to have this out right now. And uh, that was us for a very long time, uh, and from time to time still is us a little bit, but, but we've gotten a little bit better at conflict, and, uh, and every now and then, though, we still have a doozy of an argument, uh, I can definitely attest to that. So, as Dave said, we're in the middle of this series, uh, Love is for Losers, and I love this series. I think this is such a great idea. Uh, I've listened to the first two messages online, and, and here's kind of what I walk away with. Here's how I would describe this series, essentially, there's, we're inundated with all sorts of, of ideas and how to conduct our most important relationships, right? How to conduct a relationship with our significant other, with our spouse, how, whatever we're talking about. And there's no shortage of ideas on how to do that. And the, the truth is this, we always drift towards us, right? We always drift towards wanting what we want, trying to get what we want so that we are happy. And the idea with love is for losers really is, is this, that in order for you to have a successful relationship, you've got to choose to lose. You have to lose. And Christ shows us this. He constantly put others before himself. And so Christ is our example in this series of how to have a successful relationship. If we emulate him, if we reflect him, then what that'll do is it'll put us in a spot where we will choose to lose and we will have successful relationships. Now, this series, it actually reminds me of this uh, old Wilco song from one of my favorite albums of all time, uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, any, any Wilco fans in the house? Anybody love Wilco? Yeah, I, I thought I might be alone. But actually, Wil Wilco's from Illinois. Uh, they're from southern Illinois, and uh, they, they kind of hail from Chicago. They kind of call that their hometown. But there's this one song on uh, Yankee Hotel, Hotel Foxtrot that I wanted to share with you. And it really kind of describes exactly what this series is about. So, uh, so take a look.
great song. And it, it really, like Jeff Tweedy, the lead singer there, he writes all their songs and he kind of nails it. Like in any relationship, how to be successful is you have to lose. You have to die to yourself. What, what you want uh, so that someone else can be happy. And so that's the idea here of love is for losers. And, and the, the thing is this, like if we can learn to do this, if we can learn to lose, then what that means is that your relationships can thrive. Your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it can thrive. Your relationship with your spouse can thrive. And here's what I want to say too. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling a little bit like a loser because you're picking up the pieces of a relationship. And it's this heartbreaking, heartbreaking season that you're in. And I want you to know that your relationships can thrive. That you can walk away, you can be restored, you can find healing, and that your next relationship can thrive. The relationships you find yourself in, they can thrive too. And it's not because of some self-help thing that we're going to kind of discover today, but it actually, it all just points right back to Jesus and his example and how, what happens when we say yes, when we follow Jesus, he transforms our lives. He transforms us in the process and we begin to emulate him more and more and more and he makes us better. Now, the truth is that, like, if you're a Christ follower, like, relationships are hard, no matter whether you're a Christ follower or not. But when we begin to let Jesus transform us from the inside out, they they get better. We make the better choices. And it's it's not that it's not difficult, but it is better. And that is true when it comes to conflict as well. Whether you're a conflict avoider, whether you're a conflict enjoyer, the truth is that conflict is unavoidable. But what we're going to discover today is that there is a better way to approach conflict. And we're going to discover, okay, what is that better way? We're going to dig in. We're going to look at Jesus' example, some things that Jesus said, some things that other Christ followers have said. And we're going to learn how to have a better approach when it comes to to conflict. We're going to learn how to lose the fight. Yeah, I know that sounds really inspiring, but, uh, but we're going there this morning. So uh, the first week of this series, Dave, he shared from a letter that was passed around in the first century church and read aloud at gatherings like this. And it was written by a church planter named Paul. And this specific letter was written to a church in the ancient world in the city of Ephesus, where, where Paul actually started this church. And What we're going to do this morning is go back a chapter from where Dave was a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to uh, read out of Ephesians 4, and you can uh, kind of follow along on the screen if you want, but Ephesians 4, here's what Paul writes to this church in Ephesus. He says, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Now, I love this, uh, this, the message translation. That's what we just read. It's a, it's a translation of this letter that was originally written in Greek. And in it, Paul makes it really, really clear that Christ loves us so much, but he refuses to leave us there. He wants us to grow, to mature. So when we say yes to surrendering our life to Christ, that's not the end of a journey, but the beginning of a journey. And he's saying, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to grow. 
And that means that we need to embrace the whole truth. And what the whole truth really means is it's the message of Jesus. Yes, it's the message of how Jesus came and he put others first. He put the, entire, the entirety of humanity first and laid down his life for us so that we wouldn't have to live with our mistakes, with our regrets, with our sin. So that is the whole truth. But it's also this holistic idea that that truth has to invade not just our minds, but every part of our lives, every part of our lives. So it should transform the way that we work, what we do with our finances, and how we conduct our relationships. And it's important that we don't just know the whole truth, but that every part of our lives is transformed by this idea, that it's influenced by this idea. And, and Paul is saying this because this is like, just imagine with me, okay, this is a long time ago, but there was all sorts of competing ways of living. There was all sorts of competing ideas that set themselves up against the way to follow Jesus. There was all this noise about how to, how to serve yourself and no one else. But that was a long time ago. It's not really like that anymore, right? Um, just to cue you, that was a joke. So totally fine. I'll help you along this process, though, okay? Um, so in, in the next line, Paul encourages Christ followers to tell the truth in love. Tell the truth in love. And there is this posture to telling the truth, and Paul is saying, okay, it requires love. And I think it's worth pointing out that telling the truth in love isn't just about communicating the gospel, but it is how we interact with the people around us. And Paul is not even talking about outsiders, people who aren't yet Christ followers, but Paul is actually zeroing in on, on those who are in community, that are, that are other Christ followers, and then he goes on to talk about how our source is Christ, that like Christ in everything. And then he has this line that really stands out to me. He says, he keeps us in step. He's talking about Christ here. He keeps us in step with each other. So telling the truth isn't just for outsiders. It's about telling the truth to those that we're in community with, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are all a part of God's family. And so this truth, it ties us together in Christ. It keeps us in step. Now, I wonder if any of us know what it feels like to be out of step with someone else. To be out of step with your spouse, with your significant other. Maybe, maybe you're engaged and you're, you find yourself in this argument about how your life is going to look and it feels like you're just out of step. Maybe you've made it about yourself in your most important relationship and there is this disconnection and it feels like the thing that you've done has kind of separated you and it feels like you're out of step with this person that you care about so much. Maybe it's a parenting conversation that you just can't seem to come together on and it just feels like you're out of step. Maybe it's a financial conversation because the pressure is mounting and you just can't seem to line up. Whatever it is, this idea of being out of step with our significant other, it can be debilitating, right? It, it can like disrupt everything in our lives and just nothing feels right. And that doesn't matter whether you're, it doesn't matter whether you're a conflict avoider or a conflict enjoyer. It is this challenging, challenging thing to be out of step with your significant other. So what that means is that 
the conflict that causes you out of step, to be out of step, it also presents an opportunity to be in step. It presents an opportunity. If you can maneuver, if you can, if you can resolve that conflict that causes you to be out of step, what that'll do is bring you closer together. In fact, I would say that this conflict, it, it actually is an opportunity that God is providing you to be transformed and to reflect more of him. Now, I know that sounds like I'm trying to sell something, like I'm a motivational speaker or something, like I'm not selling snake oil in the lobby or anything like that, but, uh, but I would even take this a step further, okay? I think that marriage is the ultimate discipleship tool that God uses, okay? Here's why I say that. A marriage is not just two people. It's a covenant of three. It's you, it's your spouse, and it's God. And so when we enter into that covenant, when we enter into that commitment, what it does is it's us saying, okay, God first, okay? And I love that video, but it's actually three people, okay? So it's God first, and then it's me putting what I want behind my spouse, and then it comes to me. And it's this opportunity to put God first, my spouse second, and myself third and, what, and in that order, in that priority, we choose to lose. I mean, that's just the bottom line. We have to choose to lose because we are third. And I would even, this isn't even in my notes, but I just want, I want to point this out and just tell you something about marriage. I've been married for, we will actually be celebrating 22 years of marriage this year. And here's the thing I'm learning about marriage still. Marriage is not about your happiness. It's not. It's about your holiness. You see, we think that it's about our spouse kind of making us feel complete, fulfilling our needs, but God uses marriage to mold us and to shape us to choose the better thing than the thing that we want so that we can reflect more and more of him. That was just for free. You know what I mean? So let's, let's just keep going here. Uh, <laughs> so when we find ourselves in conflict, we have some different responses, and we've talked about this a little bit already. So conflict enjoyers, they want to tell the truth, right? They want to tell the truth, and often in an unhealthy sort of situation, it can feel like they are wielding a, a, a battle axe, right? They want to tell the truth, and it can be kind of via shock and awe, all right? And so what happens is the conflict escalates, and it escalates, and it escalates. But then you have the conflict avoiders, and what they want to do is just love the person, Okay? They just want to love their spouse. They don't need to tell the truth. It's fine. And so they sort of avoid the truth. And then what happens is it builds up. They push it down. They push it down. And before they know it, they're jumping out of a moving car. And that's just kind of how it works. Okay. And I've never jumped out of a moving car, but I can definitely tell you story after story. It would probably even be more fun for my wife to share story after story. We were talking about this on the way here from Kansas City about all the times where I stuffed down the conflict. I didn't address the conflict. And then it manifested itself in some really ugly ways that I'm ashamed of. Okay. So that's kind of how that works with conflict. So you have conflict avoiders who kind of just want to love. You have conflict enjoyers that are all about the truth. But there's this third way. And the third way is to address conflict with a balance of both. Telling the truth in love. That is the balance. And it's not shying away from the truth that needs to be said, but it's doing so in love. Now, think about this. Think about your last argument with your significant other for a second. Think about how that went. 
And then if we were to pass a mic around to your significant other this morning, I wonder if they would say that you told the truth in love. I know that if we handed my wife the mic, that it would be a resounding no, okay? And that's the opportunity that we're talking about this morning. That is the opportunity. See, too often, here's what happens, is we find ourselves in conflict. We find ourselves out of step. And what we do is we sort of, like a lawyer, we collect evidence for our case, like why we are right and they are wrong, okay? And it kind of just escalates, doesn't it? And what happens is then we, we want to build the case because we want to prove that we're right. And it doesn't matter whether we avoid the conflict or we enjoy the conflict, we know that we're right. That's just the crazy thing. That's how that works. But it's not about who's right and who's wrong. See, a lot of times we treat conflict like it's this battle, right? And it escalates And it's all about being victorious. It's all about kind of that competition. And it can digress very quickly to 300-like battle, without the abs, at least in my case, right? And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And all in the name of who's right. And it just gets uglier and uglier and escalates and escalates. But here's what I want you to realize. That that other person, your significant other, They are not the enemy. You see, you have one enemy, and he seeks to kill and destroy your soul, and it is not your spouse, okay? They are not the enemy. And I think it's worth pointing this out, that your spouse, that your girlfriend, your fiance, whatever, they are not the enemy. And if we can recognize that, it becomes a different conversation. A long time ago, uh, somebody asked me a question that I think really helps regarding this in marriage. And he just simply asked me this question. Do you want to be right or do you want to be married? It's a good question. And if those are my only two choices, I want to be married. And so that informs me about how I am going to make better decisions when it comes to conflict. And so we can come to this conclusion where everything will change when we choose to lose. But choosing to lose, it requires us to let go of being right. In fact, here's how I would say it. You have to lay down your right to be right. You have to lay that down. And hey, sometimes it'll go your way, sometimes it won't. But if that is the one agenda, being right, it's time to lay that down in the name of resolving conflict. So losing isn't an option, it is a must. And I'm not advocating being a doormat. In fact, uh, I thought the opening message of the series really kind of set up this idea of submission. And I think I would encourage you, if that's kind of where you want to go or the conversation you want to have, I would encourage you to download the Connect app, uh, watch Dave's talk on submission. Just don't do it right now, but do that for sure because it was a great message. But Here's, here's something that has really, really helped me. About six years ago, I, uh, I read this book called Crucial Conversations, and it really demystified conflict for me because, because as a recovering conflict avoider, like the issue for me was that I would just get tense, and I would sort of wall up, and I would get flooded in my emotions, and, and what this book did, it really kind of unpacked what happens within us, and also, it kind of stated this idea that has really changed how I see conflict. And it talks about the pool of understanding. 
And the pool of understanding, uh, <laughs> that sounds like something you'd see in like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, I understand. But here, it's really, really simple that every, anytime there's a conflict, anytime there's a crucial conversation, there is a pool of understanding. And everybody involved puts different information into that pool. And it matters the information that you put in that pool. And when we, when we as conflict avoiders, we put information in that pool, we have to trust that we can tell the truth. And conflict enjoyers have to put information in that pool and they have, to, they have to really be careful to not come in like scorching the earth with that, right? To put information in the pool. And here is what changes the conversation, I think. When we put information in the pool and it is no longer about winning, but it's actually about understanding. See, we're willing to have these conversations if we trust that the other person they don't want to win, they want to understand. And when we approach it that way, and we put our truth, our information in the pool of understanding, it becomes a more, much more empathetic conversation. Now, here's what I also understand. Up to this point, maybe the way that I've talked about conflict, uh, maybe it's like, okay, Nate, I get it. That's, a be- that's like a best practice. You know, I should definitely not avoid conflict. I also shouldn't like, you know, enjoy it as much as I do. I get that. Um, but it, I get it. It's, it's like a preferred thing, it's, but it's not a must. But I just want to share with you one thing that Jesus said, because Jesus talks a lot about reconciliation. He talks a lot about, about resolving conflict. And so in one of his most famous sermons, here's, here's what he says. Therefore, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so to kind of put that in like modern terms today, you, you roll in to connect on a Sunday morning and like Justin is like, he's like leading your favorite song. And you're like, oh man, this, I love this song. And like in the middle of that song, you're like, oh man, like the Holy Spirit just sort of brings to your mind, oh man, I, you know what? This person, like they are not happy with me. There is like some conflict here. What Jesus is saying is you leave in the middle of that song, you go to them. And you are reconciled. He says, go and be reconciled. Resolve that conflict. And then you come back hoping that that song is still going, okay? And in the ancient world, it was a lot more complicated because Jesus' audience for this message, it was, it was in Galilee, which is about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. And see, the one altar that they could offer a sacrifice, which was their act of worship, was in Jerusalem. And so it's very, very complicated because when he says to leave the gift of the altar, to go and be reconciled to your brother or sister first, what that means is that involves a journey of a week or more of going back to Galilee, having a like one-on-one kind of conversation and resolving that conflict and then going back to Jerusalem and laying that gift back on the altar. So what that tells me is that resolving conflict was really, really high on Jesus' priority list. There's a lot at stake when it comes to resolving conflict. In fact, there's other places where he talks about it, where he says, where he says, if in that act of worship you remember that you have something against someone. So it's not letting you off the hook if you're like, well, well, I have something against them, so I'm good. No, you've got to address that too. And there is nothing casual in Jesus' mind about resolving this conflict. 
There's nothing casual. And here's the truth. Here's what I know this morning. You don't know me. I don't know you. But if there's one thing that you walk out of here with that I could impress upon you, it would be this. It would be unresolved conflict always escalates. And when it goes on long enough, it will destroy your relationship. It will. And I could tell you story after heartbreaking story of that. I could tell you about my own marriage at at points that hung by a thread due to unresolved conflict where Jill and I both had to choose to lose to address that. I could tell you about couple after couple, one couple that was in our small group that one week we're together laughing, watching football. A few weeks later, they're divorced and we're like, what the, what happened? It was unresolved conflict that just stuffed, got stuffed and snowballed and snowballed. I could tell you about another couple that literally made the worst possible choice, the worst mistake that you could make in any marriage. And it completely blew up, destroyed their marriage. And in the middle of that, both spouses, they decided to choose to lose. And God did something incredible. He knit that marriage back together. And I've seen him do that over and over and over again. But it always, always starts with unresolved conflict. And so here's what, I, here's what I want to impress upon you this morning. If you have unresolved conflict with your spouse, it is important enough that I would encourage you to get up, leave, and go resolve it right now. It's that important. Because it will always, always, always destroy our relationships. So I want to come back to something that, that Paul said at the very end of kind of what we read. Um, Paul kind of, as he's encouraging us to resolve this conflict, as he's encouraging us to tell the truth in love, he says this at the end. He says, his very breath and blood flows through us. He's talking about Christ. Nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And see, Paul is reminding us that the other person is not the enemy. No matter how upset we are, no matter how we feel like we've been wronged, there's always, always, it's just worth remembering that we breathe the same breath that God gave us and that we are together and that we have to grow up robust in love if we are going to thrive in our relationships. And if we don't, here's kind of how that goes. There is kind of this pattern that happens that I've seen over and over again if we don't resolve conflicts in our, in our most important relationships with our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our spouses, whatever it is. Usually, first and foremost, unresolved conflict becomes a distraction. It's this disruptive sort of thing. And then if it goes on long enough, it turns into discouragement for, for the people involved. And then unresolved conflict over time, it always finds an outlet And what that means is that you end up sharing what that conflict with people that aren't involved in the situation, you broaden the circle, and then it creates division and isolation. This is why Jesus says it's so important. This is why Paul says we must tell the truth in love. See, we have God's breath in our lungs, and that person also has God's breath in their lungs. They are not the enemy. And so what we have to do, we have to choose to lose. We have to lay down our right to be right. 
we have to decide that it's not about winning, it's about understanding. And so this morning, as, as I close this out, I just want to leave you with, with a couple tips here, okay? So first, I want to talk to my conflict avoiders in the room, all right? So where are my dogs at? Conflict avoiders in the room, all right? So let's, uh, let, let's just kind of lean into this a little bit. I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify a truth that you've been withholding from the pool of understanding, a truth that you don't want to say because you know it's going to hurt them, it's, going to, it's not going to end well, but you know that it needs to be shared. And then I want to challenge you to find a time to share that today. Because what I know, as a recovering conflict avoider, it, we are great at procrastinating. I'll do that tomorrow. We're going to talk tomorrow, so it'll be fine. In fact, here's what I would encourage you to do. On the way home, you can kind of talk about this message. You're like, hey, what'd you think of that? He was kind of weird, yeah, and he wasn't funny at all. Hey, by the way, I want to share this with you, okay? So that's, that's the homework for our conflict avoiders. Conflict enjoyers. This is going to be equally difficult, okay? So if you find yourself in the midst of conflict now or the next time you find yourself in the midst of conflict, I want you to call a timeout. And I want you to ask this question. Is there any way that I've been too forceful with my opinion about this conflict? Is there any way that I've been too forceful with my opinion about this conflict? Spoiler alert, the answer is going to be yes. Okay? All right? And then if the answer is yes, here's what you need to say. Not I'm sorry or, oh, you know, or some like undiscernible grunt. But like, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then this is the key. You are more important than my opinion. You are more important. People are more important than the opinions that we hold. They're more important than our need to be right. And we just have to say that out loud sometimes as conflict enjoyers to really, really drive that point home. See, now maybe you're here and you find yourself, okay, hey, I'm not in any conflict. I'm good, Nate. Thanks. Hey, I hope you've been paying attention because this is going to come in handy very soon then, okay? And here's the, here's the last thing. One of the last things I want to say here is if you're here today and you're not yet a Christ follower, you haven't said yes to surrendering your life to Jesus, these, these tips are going to be helpful. They really will. They will make your relationship better. You'll be able to, to approach conflict much better. But in the end, this is ultimately about us being transformed from the inside out, and that only happens when we, when we surrender our life to Jesus. And so if today is your day to say yes to Jesus, I just want to encourage you. We'd love to, to pray with you afterwards. We'd love to chat. We'd love to walk with you through this just very important decision. But I want to kind of pan the camera out here at the end and just kind of help you see what is possible and what Paul was dreaming about here. Imagine that all of us in the room get better at conflict. That all of us in the room get better at resolving it, at hearing each other, at choosing to lose and to, to lay down our right to be right. It won't happen in a vacuum, but people will notice. Just like people notice when your relationships are tense or you're in an argument or things aren't going well at home, people will notice and it will create conversations. And these conversations could literally help people find their way back to God. These conversations could lead to even more conversations where someday you might find yourself in a baptism tank baptizing someone because you chose to resolve conflict. 
It's not crazy, and this is why Paul says it's so important. Because people are paying attention, but we have to choose to lose. Let's pray. God, I know in a room this size that there are marriages that are hanging by a thread. There are relationships in disarray. And God, I just pray there would be a sense of grace and love this morning for everybody involved. And God, I pray that you'd help us to have the courage to choose to lose and put the other person first. And even more than that, Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to disrupt our lives if we are choosing not to deal with conflict. Make it, make it a restless existence because it is so important. Help us to have the courage to tell the truth in love. I ask this in your name. Amen.